If you have a Bible with you, could I encourage you please to turn to Psalm 23? It would probably be about, I would think, maybe three or four months ago. In my daily reading through the, the Bible, I came across this psalm. It was, uh, it's been an irregular one for me over the years. And uh, I found myself just leaning in a little bit to its words. The vocabulary that's used here is very telling. And I began to start to, what I believe, experience some kind of revelation from the psalm that has began to change and indeed alter the course of my life. And um, over the next few weeks when I speak, I'm going to be drawing some truths from this particular psalm. And uh, hopefully they will be of benefit to you. But I would love us to read it together. Would that be okay? Is that okay, church? So if you have it on your phone or you have a Bible with you, I think it's also up here on the screen. In fact, could I be so bold and ask that we would stand to do that? Would you mind doing that up on the balcony? I know you're tired and everything, but it would be good to honor the Word of God as we stand together to read it. And of course, if you're at home and you're listening in, please, please, please read along with us in your version of the Bible. So we're going to start. Are you ready, church? Let's have a little clear of the throat so we do it nice and well. <laughs> okay. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just, want. just pause for a moment. Let those words, let them begin to marinate. The all-sufficient, glorious God desires more than anything in our lives this day to fill us to overflowing with his goodness and his presence that it looks like to the world around us and even to ourselves there is nothing else required. God is so good, isn't he? Read on with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Just pause for a moment. He restores my soul. Is there anybody like me who tried to help themselves? Tried to be a better person? Tried to be a freer person? Anybody like me tried to do that? How vain was that? There is but one who has the capacity to restore all things and make them new. It's not you, it's not I. We just partner with him to that end. And isn't it remarkable? Don't you find it remarkable? I do. That in spite of me, God has transformed me. Don't you find that remarkable? Greater is the work of the Spirit in me than my protests, my obstinance, my lack of clarity or certainty. Aren't you grateful that he who began a good work will carry it on until it's completed? Aren't you heartened by the truth that one day you'll meet him and you'll be like him? So let's read that again with a little bit of thankfulness attached to our conversation here. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just pause for a moment. The antidote to fear isn't trial and hardship or or working in the opposite spirit as we sometimes, the antidote to fear is the presence of God. As his presence fulfills all of our lives, we are fearless people. We become irresistible to the spirit and irritating to the enemy. Aren't you grateful for that? And it's his presence that goes before us. It's his presence that opens up the way for us. It's his presence that marks us out amongst the people of the earth. And so he, by his grace and his mercy, 
presences himself, the almighty God presences himself in our broken, often bruised and battered lives. The beautiful one presides, rules and reigns. And that means that you are a living, visible representation of a whole new world that God is trying to make happen. Isn't that good news? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Church, can I just gather your thoughts for a second there again? I know this is probably an unfamiliar thing for someone to walk you through the scripture in this way, but I love it when the people of God read the word of God together. Something happens in the atmosphere. Is there anybody here who's had adversity? (laughs) Anybody had some trials and hardships? Come on, talk to me. I can go home and be ignored. Yeah? Have you found that sometimes walking with Jesus makes you almost like a target for allegation and accusation and criticism. Have you found that? And in the world in which we're living in, it doesn't really matter what you believe, but if you're a Christian, you're considered dumb and stupid. And Have you noticed that? I call it the intolerance of tolerance. But look what the Lord says to those whose countenance and presence and fullness rests upon. He says, he will prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. What that means is such a generosity will beseech our hearts that we will not withhold one good thing from those who are against us. Isn't that good news? And I love this last phrase. My cup will runneth over. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that the well of life never runs dry. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm not moving past here. There's something for you right now. Is there anybody who needs refreshing? Anybody needs something fresh from the Lord? Lift your hands if you need something fresh from the Lord. Up on the balcony, Father, we thank you that you are excessive in your generosity. Lord, and you give to us pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. The nature of God is exuberant and beautiful and flourishing and glorious. And we say yes. We say yes to refreshing from your spirit today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you come and fill us to overflowing. That we could say in the midst of our circumstances, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. And let's read this together. I want you to read this last sentence as if you're declaring a a thing over your life. You're saying something over your family, over your community, over your city, over your nation. Because the work of the Spirit is to make all things new. So if God can change you, he can change anything. Hello? If God can change you, I mean, I'm shocked you're saved. And I'm even more shocked you're still saved. Aren't you? So if God can do that in you, can you imagine what he could do with people who were willing? (laughs) Who were wanting? And our world really needs God. People need God, whether they realize it or not. So we're praying over our city, over our family, over our communities, over our nation. And we're asking God and we're declaring together in partnership with the Spirit, His intentionality for all things. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And church, I just want to just say to you at the end. That one of the things about this psalm that's really spoken to me is how I have lived with a temporal perspective on all things. And I think one of the things that's happening as we move towards an end time church experience is that our eyes will be fixed upon our bridegroom. 
For the temporal has indeed dominated our thinking. It's distracted us from our calling. And at times it's even destroyed some of the work of the Spirit. The desire is to bring us to the kind of perspective that sees all things from heaven's directive. When it says here, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You do realize that those who know the Lord, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Aren't you just grateful for that? Aren't you just grateful for that? Aren't you... Aren't you appreciative that this is not all there is? <laughs> that what we're living in right now is temporary digs. <laughs> For one day all of this will pass away, but we will rule and we will reign with him forever. So let's declare that over our lives again. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And all God's people said amen, amen. And shouted hallelujah even and thanked him. Yeah, hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Please take your seats. I will do the best I can with my time with you to do justice to what I believe for me has become a revelation and, in fact, a revolution to the way I interact with God and, indeed, how I perceive the world in which he's placed me. I want to start, if I could, please, by drawing your attention to the audacious statement of the psalmist David as he opens his dialogue about a life that absolutely is pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing with fullness. He offers us this introduction to that life and he suggests for us the means or the gateway by which that life becomes apparent. We have to be the kind of people that don't allow the word of God to be something that's written on a tombstone or even a poem that we recite. We have to be the kind of people that take the word of God and grapple with the word of God and absorb the word of God until we are absorbed by the word of God. And this is what the psalmist is inviting us to. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The result of the Lord as his shepherd is this. He has no want. He does not lack a thing. He is not in need. He is not without human condition, but he is satisfied and fulfilled and indeed blessed and highly favored by God. And the gateway to that kind of life is not perhaps what we presumed it was. I'd like to suggest to you that the gateway to a life without lack is not trying harder or working more towards the spiritual things we believe in. The gateway to the life that we are all searching for, in fact, every human heart desires this kind of life. It's a pressed down, shaken up and overflowing life. It's the kind of life that you believe exists and so you do the lottery hoping that you'll win it or you'll go out with Mr. Right or Mr. Right now even if that's all it takes thinking that something external will do something internal to you is a condition that I believe every human soul has and indeed the answer to the question we're all asking is is there more, is there something better is there a greater existence for me here on earth is found in this particular psalm it says the Lord is my shepherd in other words I have submitted entirely to my God. I have given him access to every part of my life. I have offered him the keys of my existence and I trust him with all things pertaining to my life. And I think that's quite an audacious statement for anybody to make, don't you think? But my question for us here today, is that my reality? You see, I may have a theology that the Lord is my shepherd. I may have, in, have some kind of romanticism about what that may look like. But actually, am I truly submitted to the Lordship of God? Does he direct my path? Is he the one I go to? Is he the one I submit to in all matters pertaining to my life? 
And I would like to suggest to you that for many of us, this is where the problem lies. For many of us, we haven't quite offered ourselves fully to God. We haven't quite given God the right to have access to every part of our human existence. And I'll tell you why I believe that that is something that we all do is because we've been hurt when we've submitted to other people. Is there anybody in this room who thought the people around their lives were going to do them good and then you discovered slightly through the journey with the best of intentions that that good turned into something less than you expected it to be? So we're hurting people, we're broken people. And when we come into relationship with God, we can sing all the songs we want, we can declare all the words we want, but the real test of what we believe about him is found in our submission to him. If the Lord is our shepherd, then that will completely and utterly direct the way that we live our lives. I mean, does God have your money? Does God have your family? Does God have your brokenness? Is it not true that independence and self-reliance is a byproduct of our sinful nature? But we have a new nature. Is there anybody who's born again? A new creature in Christ, behold, the old is gone. I think sometimes we don't move forward with the realities of the fullness of God because our thinking is to do more with who we were and not with who we've become. Paul writes these words in uh, Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, maybe it would be good to turn to them so that you know I'm not making this up. <laughs> and he urges the church in Rome to do what I believe the psalmist has experienced for himself. He says these words in Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I think your version or my version sometimes says, in view of God's mercy... Let's pause for a moment and ask why he's inviting us to consider that. Paul is directing our thinking and therefore our perspective to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's simply saying to us, when you look at the cross, you'll realize one thing. God is God. When you look at the cross, you'll give up all of your rights and all of your protests and all of your lack of surrender and you'll cave in to the love that changes everything in the human soul. When you look at the cross, mercy, the view of God's glory and his goodness in Jesus Christ will cause you to think differently and therefore live differently as a result. And basically he's saying in view of God's mercy, in view of what you have experienced, in view of what you know about the reality of Jesus Christ, this is how you are meant to live. Present your bodies. Notice that there's no protest in present. It's a, a voluntary act of an individual who now offers himself or herself completely to the one who we know as Jesus Christ. Now, I want to suggest to you that true life without lack is found in submission and is found in surrender to the God of the universe. It's Yahweh, the God who is complete, the God who is everlasting to everlasting, the God of glory and the God of power, the God who's personal to you. All of that, the life that we desire, the life that we require, the life that we're searching for and the truth that we're after is found in submission. And submission is really difficult for people who've been hurt and damaged by life. So we come to Christ with all our baggage and we come to God with all of our questions and we lift ourselves before him and we say to him, God, I lay my life down just as you lay your life down for me. My response to you, my act of worship as a reaction to what you've done in view of your mercy, the only decent thing I can offer you is all of me. Now we have let worship be something that we sing. 
But worship in the kingdom of God is so much more than that. It's a consistent deferral to the lordship and the person of Christ. You see, we can sing songs and not be submitted. We can declare words and not be submitted to God. It's important that our actions follow our realities. In view of God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice. What would that look like for me to live consistently in humility to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, I want to suggest to you that the first thing it does is that I don't get my own way. I love the church. They don't tell lies. They just sing them. We sing Christ is enough in me and then we take some, you know, authority over certain things and we start to live our life as if we're the ones that are in control. You do realize that with all your best attempts, you're never going to control everything. Jesus came for us and to us so that we didn't have to do this on our own. He came to be with us. He came to abide in us so that we could offer him our life as a living sacrifice and allow ourselves to be filled with his lordship, filled with his wisdom, filled with his compassion, filled with his glory. We're not here singing songs. We're here submitting ourselves consistently and persistently to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I often wonder if Jesus was here in the flesh What would he think about some of the things that I do? (laughs) You know, I'm a busy person like you, and I find myself caught up in all kinds of activity. And sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I don't always think, is this the will of God? Is this the purpose of God? Are you like me? When somebody is aggressive towards me, and it does happen, I know it's hard to believe because I'm so lovely. (laughs) But when somebody is aggressive towards me, you, you know, I don't always think, oh, God has got this covered Do you? You know, and I'm learning to drive in your city. I don't know where these people come from, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of overtaking on the right side here. And I'm finding myself completely disorientated. And I must confess that when I'm cut in from the inside or the outside, the first thing that comes to mind isn't praise the Lord, hallelujah, (laughs) glory to God. I find here also that when you're queuing, is there such a thing as a queue in London? People just come from everywhere, don't they? they? They're coming from all directions, all kinds of directions. You know, and, and because I'm a principled person, sometimes I want to put them right about that. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever, well, you see, they're all indicators to me that I might not have come to terms with the fact that my whole existence, day and night, night and day, is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, and if I believe that thoroughly, then I'll recognize something profoundly. All things really do work together for the good of those who love the Lord. You see, sometimes I'm trying to avoid certain things that maybe God in his wisdom has allowed Some things draw out of me, some parts of my life where I've not submitted to God. I know you wouldn't have a problem with that. Haven't you noticed how God puts some interesting people in your life? You know, a number of years ago, I was um, pastoring somewhere, and God allowed there to be some people in a church that I was pastoring that really didn't like me. Can you believe that? (laughs) They really didn't like me. And, And, you know, every time I would preach or anything, they would put the head in their hands or they would flick through the Bible. It's not that they were doing Bible study. <laughs> you know, they, they just wanted to distract themselves from the things. And you know, I used to get so offended. I used to get so offended by Have you ever been offended by things people do? 
Come on, talk to me, church. Have you been offended by things people do? You know, I'm so indignant, so self-righteous about those things. And I'd go home every day after those meetings and I would be praying for those beautiful three people. In the mighty name of Jesus, I was casting down strongholds and tearing up. And Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? <laughs> I binded, I loosed. I was so confused whether I was loosing or binded. It happened so regularly. And you know, one night I was having a dream. I was asleep and having a dream. And God showed me in this dream. And this is what he showed me. There was this incredible expansive space. And it was full of light and full of his presence and his glory. And uh, I could hear this tiny little chipping noise. I couldn't quite make it out. We were far. The Lord was with me. And he said, just come a little closer. And I moved a little closer. And the chipping noise got louder and louder. And you know, as I went nearer to this thing, it was covered in this sheet. And uh, the light that the noise was deafening now. It was like hard blows. And, and every time I could hear these blows, I would look at Jesus in this dream and he would be smiling. In fact, the harder the blow, the more he would smile. And I remember looking at the Lord and being quite puzzled by this. And I turned to Jesus and I said, what is going on here? I also could feel the blows. It felt like every blow that was being made under this sheet was actually affecting me. And when I asked the question, he drew back the sheet and I saw these three people. And there they were with their hammers and they were going for it. They were knocking. And, and as they knocked this piece of granite, this wonderful piece of granite. What was happening is that my life was being shaped by the allegations and the accusations of those who were against me. You see, I smile. And I smile gloriously because there isn't a thing that happens to me if I'm in a place of submission to God that doesn't work towards my benefit. My worst day can become Satan's worst nightmare. <laughs> If I am submitted to and surrendered to and living as an active worshiper in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, in my relationships and in my deliberations. And David is simply saying to us, if you want this life, this pressed down, shaken up and overflowing life, you're probably not going to get it by being in control. Now that would make a lot of sense to me because we're searching for it and God knows where it is. You see, we're looking for something that's already been given. We're trying to aspire to something that has already been provided for us. And so the beginning of a life without lack, and anybody fancy a bit of that action? <laughs> yeah. Is not found sometimes in the things that we think will produce it. It's found in submission and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A number of years ago when I first connected with the church, and I must be honest with you, I did find the church a very interesting place to come to. I had hair the size of a mountain. I was a new romantic. Does anybody remember them? I looked a little bit like Boy George, but of course better looking, still Irish. And I turn up at a Pentecostal hat wearing trombone playing church. Can you imagine the dynamics? People didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know whether I was male or female. The only thing they knew is I needed saving. What they didn't know is I was already saved. You see, you see sometimes we're looking at the external and God has already done a work on the internal. You know, and I went along to that church, and the message of that church, which was a place called Hockley Pentecostal, was familiar to me over time. But at the beginning, it seemed very strange. This is what the people would preach on. They'd say, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I'm asking the question, 
I suppose, today as we gather our thoughts and think together and pray together and consider the wonders of God, how submitted are we? On a scale of 1 to 10, are you a 2? Are you somewhere up near an 8? And it doesn't matter because some of that stuff is seasonality. Sometimes we go through difficulties and sometimes it's difficult to resist the temptation to take control of our lives. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could respond to God's invitation to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? In fact, can I suggest to you that it's probably going to make your life an awful lot easier. You do realize that he knows everything and you're working with limited understanding. You do comprehend that he's all powerful and on your best day you're weak. You have come to the conclusion that his wisdom and his glory far surpasses your brokenness and your weariness. He simply is breathtaking. So to experience life without lack depends on and relies upon us submitting to the presence and the person of God. And so what does that look like for us? What would it look like for us to be submitted to and posture ourselves in a place of humility before the living God? Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you is this, that it would actually cause us to pay attention to what we truly believe. Let me suggest this to you. What you believe about God is simply the most important thing that's going on in your life. Not what you sing about God, not what other people tell you about God, but what you as an individual actually believes about God is simply the most important thing that's going on in your life. What you believe about God is where the Spirit brings life, not what you pretend to believe. You know, God is, is not, uh, he's not caught up with Facebook persona. He speaks to our reality. Have you noticed on Facebook, everyone's got a wonderful life? <laughs> and they have fantastic meals, don't they? What is it about putting food on Facebook? What is that all about? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care what you're eating. I'm bothered about what I'm eating. I'm just telling you the truth here. <laughs> but you know, we have a friend and uh, she's up in Glasgow and she has the most exceptional. Every time we look at her Facebook page, she's on holiday. <sighs> I'd love to tell you I feel blessed for her, but most of the time I'm just questioning the goodness of God. <laughs> what about us, Jesus? And you know, when you look at somebody's persona, don't you, if you're really honest, don't you think, I'd like that life. I'd like that person's life. Some people look on, the, on Facebook like they've got it all together. I look on Facebook like I'm in the all together. There's <laughs> not a lot happening. There's not a lot going on. God doesn't speak to our persona. He speaks to our reality. So when the Spirit of God begins to communicate, he's not talking to the you you hope everybody think you are. He's talking to the you that you really are. The broken you, the lonely you, sometimes the confused you, the one with loads of questions, the one who don't really understand how to do this thing that we've all been invited to, which is submit to God. So I believe one of the ways that we start to engage in submission to God and releasing ourselves into fullness is through submission. But also that submission has to come with some intelligence. We need to think about God in ways that match who God is. How many of us believe that God is good? No, I don't think you heard me, did you, Chit? How many of us believe that God is good? Okay, then can I ask you a question? This is going to sting. Then why do you live like he's not? You see, I feel that in church in the West at the moment, 
we have somehow permissioned ourselves to have a theology that isn't a reality. We can sing God is good. We can testify and declare that God is good. But actually, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through to Saturday, when we're not surrounded by people who encourage us, we have questions. Why? Because what we actually believe is different than that which we declare. And there's got to be something that fills the gap between what we profess we believe and what we actually believe. A number of years ago, I, I was going through some inner healing. Has anybody ever had some healing from the Lord? Yeah, I love, I love it when God sets you free from things. But I went through a season where people were saying to me this particular sentence. They said it over and over again. I felt God was repeating himself and clearly I wasn't getting it. God said things like this to me through a variety of voices. He said, you are a new creature. The old has gone. Behold, all things have been made new. That sounds lovely, but what does it mean? What he was trying to help me understand was that what he had done in me was greater than anything that had happened to me. But I had a theology, but I didn't have a reality of that. Can anybody testify to that? That happens, doesn't it? I wanted it to be true, but actually for me it wasn't necessarily a flourishing truth. What about this one? He knitted you together in your mother's womb. Have you heard that scripture? I used to think that's brilliant and I would so be aspirational to have that kind of sense of comfort that God knew me so well, that he cared about me so greatly, that he was the father I'd always wanted. But the truth was, when people were saying to me, he knitted you together in your mother's womb, you're the apple of your father's eye, I was saying inside, but with me he must have dropped a stitch. <laughs> now what is playing out here? What's playing out is simply this. I had a belief system that hadn't been backed up with evidence and experience. It was a form of godliness, but it had no power thereof. Now, isn't it strange how we live and abide with that reality? Because there are all manner of things about God that we say we believe, but the truth is when the rubber hits the road and life invades the space, Sometimes our actions do not follow what our words declare. God is good all the time until cancer turns up. And then we question the goodness of God. We put God on trial. A number of years ago, my mother passed away very suddenly. And I was going through a season, I think you'll remember it up in Glasgow. I was going through a season where I was really starting to grow a little bit in my understanding of the goodness of God. And my mother was 62 years of age. She was diagnosed with breast cancer on, on one week. And by the following Monday, she had an incredible heart attack and she died very suddenly. And none of my family at that point were believers. And so I went down from Glasgow to uh, the, the the cremator not crematorium, the chapel of rest. And we were all, as Irish people do, sitting around and talking. And my brothers started with their allegations. Where's God now? Where's God now? And you know, I didn't have an answer. Do you ever not have an answer? Come on, be honest, please. Sometimes I, I just don't know what to say sometimes. And I know I'm going to say the wrong thing if I'm open my mouth. So I love that proverb that said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be presumed a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> and out of the corner of my ear, I heard the, the, 
the one who was the leader in our family, really is my brother, I heard him say, I think God has been good to our mom because she would never have been able to go through chemotherapy. My mother had a huge fear. And God whispered in my ear, don't you love that when he does that? He said, Simon, as I looked into, stared into the face of my dead mother, he said, am I still good? Am I still good? And with tears in my eyes, I said, yes, you are, God. Yes, you are good. Because there's a world of difference in having a theology about the goodness of God and having a reality of that goodness in the way that you see the world and the way you operate with people and the way you embrace the situations and circumstances of our lives. See, God being good is so much more than a theological statement. It's an invitation to an experience. The goodness of God. I think the psalmist said, I would have lost heart had I not experienced the goodness of the Lord. Where? In heaven? When I get all my ducks in a row? No, in the land of the living. In the ordinary every day of my life, I would have lost heart had I not experienced the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, what you believe about God impacts every area of your life. It impacts how you worship. It impacts how you serve. It impacts how you give. You see, when you've come to a realization that God is so, so generous, he has a cattle on a thousand hills, he's everlasting to everlasting, you won't hold on to your last 20 pence like your life depends upon it. And if you truly understood the nature of God, you would be the most excessively generous person in every environment you find yourself in because generosity opens up the kingdom of heaven. In the book of Acts, when the Spirit began to move, Ananias and Sapphira were chastised by God to such a point of death because they were stopping the flow of generosity. Prior to that scripture, it says, they had all things in common and they gave to one another as they had need. When we're talking about a move of God, we're talking about a move of generosity. We're talking about a manifestation of the goodness of God in physical healings and in debt being paid off and in times of liberty and in years of jubilee. We're talking about a pressed down, shaken up, overflowing reality of God. A move of God is not just I get to feel something or I get a spiritual experience. It's actually very powerful. And here's what happens when a real move of God comes. People start to let go of the purse strings. They start to not be orphan-minded in the way they are with one another. They start to be generous and excessive and abundant. Why? Because their soul is so filled, so filled to capacity with the goodness of God that everywhere they go, it spills out in every environment they're in. You see, what you believe about God is hugely important. And you know, if we're really honest, we can tell what people believe about God. You can tell by their countenance. Do you know that God is powerful? Church, talk to me, please. Do you know that you and I need his power to turn up? It was by his power, grace, and mercy that you are saved. Has he gone on holiday since? <laughs> Is he not the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever? <laughs> now, when you're in the middle of a crisis, you've got to remind yourself that the one who saved your soul is still alive and well and living and abiding in you. Because he hasn't diminished in his power. We have yet to see the fullness of his power. Do you know, if you're suffering today with sickness, I want to remind you that God is powerful. And let me just explain something to you. His goodness trumps your brokenness 
all day, every day, in every possible way. God's goodness is greater than your sickness. It's greater than cancer. It's greater than anything. God's goodness simply is above and beyond in its power and capacity for every aspect of our humanity. But if I believe God is good, and I have a theology about that that hasn't become a reality, I become vulnerable to the works of the enemy. Because the enemy always comes in with a slight truth that takes you off course. Here's one of them. God has allowed your sickness to do a work of his spirit in you. Really? That's like me breaking my daughter's arm and saying, you'll learn your lesson as it gets better. What does that say about me? What does that say about my love for my daughter? You see, I, I hear Christians say all kinds of things. They say God is good all the time. God is good. We do all of that. And then we say these crazy things like, well, oh, he's smiting me. He's the mighty smiter in the sky. No, he's not. Jesus loves you. The Father delights in you. Oh, you don't believe me. I can tell. God hasn't got a bad thought about you. You're the apple of his high. You're the reason he sent Jesus. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. Quiets you with love. We need to get our minds into tune with who God truly is. He's a good, good father. And he delights to give good gifts to his children. Is it true that you can learn from suffering? Well, I hope in every circumstance in life that we learn. People say to me all the time, you know, if I'm, I'm going through a hard season, it's like hell on earth. I think, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. But what I would suggest to you is be like Jesus, who when he descended, took captivity captive and released everything of the blessing of God in the midst of adversity. Sometimes going through hell isn't an option, but you can go through it with joy. You can go through it with hope. And if you are sharp, and I believe you are, you'll grab everything of the blessing of God through the midst of your hell experience, and you will allow heaven to invade even the darkest places of your human experience. God is good. And he's better than you and I think he is. And we have to keep adjusting our thinking so we can partnership with his goodness. Paul calls it the renewing of our mind. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is our mind doing? It's actually agreeing with the reality of what's happened to us. If we're new creatures in Christ and the old has gone, then we need to stop thinking like people who are under a curse. In fact, can I be so bold? We need to stop calling ourselves sinners. Because this is what the Bible says about people who've been brought into relationship with God. They're a royal priesthood. What does that look like? Somebody who's been given a capacity and authority to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. A holy people. That's what God says about us now. Holy. Now, you may not feel holy. I'm not in for a debate about that. In fact, I'm not going to wait for you to catch up with your new identity. Because <laughs> we could be here for eternity. 
But you are a royal priesthood given by God, an administration gift to govern the world in which he's placed you to bring life and hope and truth and peace and the fullness of God into every environment. You are not the tail, you are the head. You are the firstborn of a whole new world order that's coming to change the world. And greater is the God inside of you than your weakness or your brokenness or even your inability to fully understand who he is. Don't clap, I haven't got time. And the truth is simply this. We need to start thinking about ourselves the way God thinks about us. And that will never happen until we start thinking about God the way God truly is. God is kind and generous, powerful and good and loving and humble and glorious. Shall I keep going until somebody wakes up? So how do we access this? We have this invitation to submission. We have this recognition that the life we're really searching for is found through the gateway of surrender and submission to God. And we have these promises in Psalm 23 that are the byproducts of a life in relationship to Jesus and the fullness of his presence abiding thereof. Well, I want to take you to a psalm and we're going to close with this. If you go to Psalm 34 for me. Psalm 34, verse 8. And I'm just going to camp here for a few minutes, if that's okay with you. Is that all right? Look at what the psalmist tells us to do. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's say it together again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, so let me talk around this for a minute if I can. I have a wife who is exceptional at choosing the right food. When we go out to a restaurant together, Jane will take, I think, excessive periods of time (laughs) to read every nuance on that menu. She will think about the food she's getting. I often come to those moments and I've forgotten my glasses And so I see the word burger, I can vaguely make it out on the page. (laughs) And I tend to just go with what I'm familiar with. A burger by any other name is a burger. (laughs) And, And so I have a problem then, because when the food turns up, I have a thing, I know you probably don't struggle with, it's called food envy. Do you ever do that? You're sitting with people and you think, I should have had that. Why didn't I have that? Do you ever do that? So it's not just me. Thank you, Jesus. I thought it was just me. And I spend most of my time enduring what I've received (laughs) with the small, slim hope that I might be able to taste what she has received. But you'll notice something that when you go to a restaurant, you don't just gather with whoever you love and have a moment and read the menu together and close the menu and thank the Lord for a good evening and leave. What you do is you look at the menu, you wonder what it would be like and you order something and you taste it and you'll discover, as I have, that however well it's been explained, and trust me, people are quite poetic, a drizzle, (laughs) 
of something. A susong of something. What is a susong? I have no idea what that is. With essence. I don't want essence. I want reality. With essence <laughs> of something. <laughs> Who wants essence? <laughs> However beautiful and poetic and glorious the information is, there is nothing that compares to the reality of its taste. You can imagine, you can contemplate, you can consider, you can ponder till the cows come home. But when you take a spoonful and you place it inside of your mouth, something of a transaction is taking place where something that has been offered to you is now becoming a reality in you. And you know if you're like me, the next thing you do is take another one. And particularly if it's somebody else's food and another one. And let me try a little bit of that because we have been created by God not just to think about food or to ponder what food would be like. We have been created by God to taste and then we see that this is good. Now the same is true spiritually. Some people read the Bible like it's a menu and have a little bit of father heart. Followed by a baptism of the Holy Spirit, please. Could you bring me a side dish of redemption? And of course, I'll have a final course of joy. Thank you very much. Everything in the Word of God is an invitation to experience the nature, the character, and the person of the one who has penned it. Every facet of the word is not meant to be thought of in abstract experiences. We are meant to savor it so much, digest it so greatly, that it begins to alter the way we live in our reality. The psalmist is saying, you will never truly see who God really is until you taste it for yourself. Let me give you an example. You know, before I became a Christian, which is a long time ago, there were dinosaurs on the earth and Moses was still alive and well. You know, that's how long ago it was. Um, I'd heard the term born again. You know, I had been a born again everything by the time I'd come to know Jesus. <laughs> I had adopted the posture. I became a Buddhist for a while. I was a born-again Buddhist, which is quite interesting when you're raised Catholic. So I just carried all of the trinkets and the treasures into that new experience. I was a born-again philosopher. I had had an awakening of some description. I began to think about the deep things of life. And so I would read all these books. I was into transcendental meditation. I was involved in a whole bunch of witchcraft things. I was born again, born again, born again. And so when somebody told me I needed to be born again, I thought I was truly born again. I thought they were offering me the same menu as the one that I had. And so one night in somebody's front room, I got down on my knees and I invited Jesus into my heart. Now, having a theology about being born again and a philosophy about being born again, let me tell you something, church, was no way as powerful as having a reality of being born again. When I had the reality of being born again, it's like my eyes were opened. What's the hymn writer that says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Listen to the phrase, was blind, but now I see. Here's how we encounter the goodness of God. We taste, we experience his love. And here's what happens as a byproduct of that. We have a revelation of who he is. We encounter his goodness, we have a revelation that he is good. We encounter the father heart of God, we have a revelation that he's a father to the fatherless. Good and perfect gifts flow out of him consistently. You can't be what you haven't seen. You can try, you can work it up, you can do your best, but actually it's God's great delight to bring wisdom and revelation to the church of Jesus Christ. 